Welcome to the latest episode of On The Case with me, Jess Harold, this time discussing the most significant decision yet under the mammoth legislation that is the Building Safety Act 2022. The case is Triathlon Homes ILP versus Stratford Village Development Partnership and others. And inevitably, it involves remediation of defective cladding that poses a fire safety risk at five residential blocks in the Olympic Village in East London. Here to discuss the decision of the first tier tribunal is Rebecca Francis, Associate Director at Osborne Clark. Great to speak to you, Rebecca. And you, Jess. Thank you. So just to begin with, can you just sort of talk us through uh, the parties and the, and the site details a little more in triathlon homes, uh, the nature of, of the works that are, are likely to be required and the, the, the details of the remediation contribution orders that were being applied for under the 2022 Act? Yeah, sure. So uh, this was uh, quite an eagerly awaited decision involving uh, a high profile development um, as it concerns the the former Athletes Village in in Stratford, as you said Mm -hmm. in your introduction, which was originally developed by an SPV called Stratford Village Development Partnership, SVDP. Um, and then uh, it was retrofitted essentially into into market apartments and sold into the private sector um, after the end of the Olympic Games. And the, the development is, is currently owned by Get Living, the, the build to rent operator, and is now known as East Village. There is quite a complex uh, history to this site, um, but I, I think I think the key facts of the case, at least for our purposes today, uh, are that it involved an application for a remediation contribution order or an RCO under Section 124 of the Building Safety Act 2022, um, which is obviously a relatively new remedy for, for interested parties in relevant buildings in order to, to essentially require a company to make payments in connection with the remediation of relevant defects. And this is obviously separate from um, an order sort of forcing an entity to do mm. or undertake the works themselves. And I think just as a reminder, it can be quite useful given um, how dense the Building Safety Act is. A, a, a relevant building is one with at least two dwellings. So it has to have an element of residential um, and it has to be over 11 metres or uh, five storeys high. And, and when we're talking about a relevant defect, um, essentially it's one that that causes a building safety risk arising from possible collapse or the spread of fire. So it, it's not just limited to, to fire safety. Mm-hmm. In terms of this, the application itself, um, it was made by Triathlon Homes, uh, an affordable housing provider, um, and the head lessee of a number of units uh, within the East Village. Um, and it was made against the original developer, SVDP, um, as well as Triathlon's current landlord of those units, Get Living, uh, and, the, and the management company for, for the development. The application concerned five blocks, um, and obviously at, at, at East Village, it's a, it's a much larger uh, development, mm-hmm. with, with some of those flats within the five blocks held under shared ownership leases um, granted by Triathlon um, and others rented out via subsidiaries of Get Living. So uh, I think that the first point of interest in this application is, is really the breadth of respondents that were named, you know, essentially Triathlon covering all bases and, and joining uh, as many 
identifiable entities that could fall within the remit of, of, of Section 124 as possible. And, and another important point to note is that Get Living actually acquired the developer entity SVDP when it acquired the East Village. So right. that, that does need to be kept in mind as the original developer entity and Get Living are considered associated for the purposes okay. um, of the Building Safety Act. And in terms of the works and the costs in issue of this application, following um, the Grenfell tragedy, uh, building inspections were carried out by the management company for East Village, uh, which identified building safety defects in these five blocks. This led to a waking watch being put in place temporarily, uh, and then a, a remedial scheme was designed and tendered. Triathlon's share of likely costs in the in the project or for the project are estimated around £27 million. Um, and this is covering the remedial works, uh, associated professional fees, fire alarm upgrades, interim safety measures such as such as a waking watch. So it's quite, quite extensive. And it, it's this element of the costs that triathlon sought uh, an RCO in respect of, essentially protecting them from from having to contribute should other avenues of funding uh, you know, not materialise. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of, you know, one, one final point in terms of the application itself, um, I think it is important to note that the majority of, of funding for the works had already been committed by the Building Safety Fund, uh, obviously being the being the taxpayer funded pot, mm. which interested parties in, in relevant buildings have been able to apply to over the last um, couple of years to fund these investigative works and, and ultimately um, remedial works so so that that's the the sort of factual matrix that the mm-hmm. the tribunal was asked asked to consider and you mentioned that this uh decision has been eagerly awaited because i think you know people have been interested to see how uh, the tribunal would ab- apply the provisions of the building safety act uh in practice mm-hmm. um so and, and obviously uh, because you know this one it sounds like there was an awful lot of of money at stake and, and the questions of responsibility are obviously very important to to other uh developers and and, and owners out there who who may be affected in similar ways so how did the tribunal deal um, with the application made in this case under the Act? So it is quite a detailed um, detailed judgment <laughs> and, and considered, as, as no doubt the tribunal knew it was going to be um, closely scrutinised as, as mm. one of the, the first RCOs um, obviously made since, since this section came into force um, in, in June 2022. An interesting procedural point emerged um, as the application uh, was initially made to the upper upper tribunal, um, Mm -hmm. but it was uh, considered that uh, essentially the upper tribunal didn't have jurisdiction to hear the application um, and uh, that it it could, an RCO application could only be dealt with by the first tier tribunal being being the lower court. Mm -hmm. Um, I think so. it's probably one more for sort of practitioners to to keep in mind as as practically it had no real impact in this case but it was again it's quite interesting them grappling with with the with the section the new section of the legislation. Um, and then and then the tribunal worked through the main issues that were, were put before them in the application. And firstly, it was, you know, can an RCO be made in relation to costs incurred before the commencement of, of Section 124 on the on the 28th of June 2022? Mm-hmm. Secondly, they were asked to consider whether an RCO can be made in relation to costs um, of measures taken to try and prevent or reduce the risk of a building safety risk. Um, from materialising and not just costs incurred remedying the actual defect itself. 
Um, and then thirdly, the sort of uh, the final issue um, was on the facts of this particular case, whether it would be just and equitable for an RCO to be made. And if it is, against who should it should it be made who should be named in the in the order and ultimately the tribunal decided in the affirmative for all of those questions and decided that an RCO was appropriate here and that it was actually get living who would bear the brunt of the order Mm. Um, and and the sort of uh, reasoning for that seemed to be that you know the original developer SVDP although named did not have the means to to ultimately discharge uh, any order that the tribunal may make um and and get living was the ultimate parent because obviously they they acquired it at the same time mm-hmm. as as the development so uh, 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 RCOs were made um basically for triathlon share of the full incurred and anticipated cost of the works against get living and ultimately this will provo- this will involve get living paying back the sums advanced by the building safety fund so another sort of key point to to take away from from the mm. application um what came out loud and clear is is that you know the tribunal felt that get living had the deeper pockets and you know that wherever possible someone other than the taxpayer or the leaseholders should should cover the costs mm-hmm. even where they weren't sort of directly at fault they weren't the original developer um so, so another important point that you know there doesn't need to be fault for an rco to be made against an entity um you know it, it's the tribunal's carrying out an exercise of considering who's sort of best place to take the pain mm-hmm. um of, of the costs um cost of remedial works and it's 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 very much described as a, a cascade of liability starting from the original developer if they're not going to be the ones who can fulfill any order you look you know to the current building owner um and then s- subsequent landlords but sort of anyone but but the leaseholders and the taxpayers. I imagine that's obviously a decision that that will have set alarm bells ringing uh, with uh, original developers and 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 property owners. But to what extent do you think this this shines a surprising light on how the tribunal uh, will deal with future cases, or or does it fit with your expectations and perhaps the industry expectations for how the legislation would be applied in practice? Um. So, I, I, of course, these matters are very fact specific. Um, mm-hmm. I think particularly where you're looking to the tribunal to to exercise their discretion. But I would say for me and, and probably many others, the decision wasn't really a surprise. I mean, if if you've had, um, if I can say, the misfortune of of trying to interpret and apply the Building mm-hmm. Safety Act since it came onto the scene in in, in 2022, uh, what is abundantly clear is is the atten- intention behind all of the very complicated provisions. Um, and as I, as I said, ultimately, the leaseholders should be sheltered from paying to remediate buildings um, mm. wherever possible. So th- so I think, you know, where you where you apply that intention, look at the explanatory notes behind the legislation. Um, it, I just don't find it surprising that the tribunal did you know find find in the affirmative of all the all the questions that they were asked um and also just just the wording of 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 the section of section 124 is it it's it's very broad um and it you know all it says is that the tribunal may on the application of an interested person make an order in relation to a relevant building if it's just and equitable to do so so you know again um, very broad, um, and I would just sort of highlight again in terms of 
the alarm bells ringing, Section 124 lists who can be subject of an RCO and it includes a landlord under a lease of a relevant building, um, you know, a person who um, was a landlord at the qualifying time being February 2022, a developer um, or a person associated with any of any of those listed. Mm. So, you know, it, it it is, I think it's really fair to say that RCOs have a very wide remit particularly if you if you've got a situation where leaseholders are, are stuck you know unable to sell or, or remortgage um but saying that each case will turn on its own facts and first tier tribunal decisions aren't binding that said i imagine that that, that, that this decision will be a, a key component of of advice given uh, to, to developer and property owner clients going forward um what do you think the the really sort of key messages for 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 those in that position who if i mean it's it's kind of hard to think that anyone might not have properly grappled with the implications of this fact by now but but maybe if they haven't uh if they if they this if this makes them wake wake up to it uh the, the fact it's not going away and it is going to be hugely mm. important what what is the, the sort of key message for them um, I, I, I say I think you know most people will be aware of the app, but I, I think <laughs> how far it extends, I, I, I you know I wouldn't be surprised if if people aren't really you know alive to it. And it's decisions like this that that help sort of shine shine that light on it. But I think rather than sort of important messages for developers being the key takeaways, because I would say on the whole, you know they they either will or certainly should be alive to the risk of liability mm. uh, you know at least in the first instance you know unless or until they can pursue you know third parties contractors suppliers etc but i think again as you've said it it's more for the building owners and landlords that were not involved in the construction of um uh, uh a relevant building but you know acquired it subsequently mm. I think it's them who you need to pay particular attention to this decision um and basically the light it light it shines on on RCOs as an enforcement mechanism um you know as, as the tribunal said there's there's no these sort of no fault landlords may have been you know diligently progressing remedial works um you know using the fund where say the original developer is is no longer around um, and although there are, you know, there are clawback provisions in the in the funding agreement, um, RCOs to reimburse the fund, I think, may come as a bit of a shock to innocent mm. landlords. And I think that that seems to be the sort of key message, I would say, for uh, investor landlords. I mean, you could argue that there there may be less appetite uh, to bring applications for RCOs where, you know, it's it's just leaseholders. And an investor landlord and the cost of the works have been been covered in full. Um, but, you know, it's where there is you know a shortfall for the cost of the works where, say, the fund will only cover certain works and not others. You know, where pro projects are still ongoing, they're pending and also where the, the Schedule 8 protections in the Building Safety Act don't assist. I think there's potentially more risk of this sort of application being being made. Um, and also, you know, the list of parties that can bring these applications, again, quite broad, and it's not just limited to, to leaseholders. So um, I don't think we can discount, you know, the risk altogether. Um, and, you know, I think it's the, just a final point on that. I think it's worth noting that where, you know, where there is grant funding, um, you know, it's largely limited to, to say, cladding, recladding and waking watches. And, and, you know, as I said, um, 
it can extend beyond that. Um, mm. And this this decision clarifies that RCOs um, can can you know latch onto costs of works more broadly that help to alleviate a relevant defect. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, the existence of funding from the Building Safety Fund wasn't considered to be a reason to refuse making an order in this case. Um, you know, the, the tribunal said it was it was unlikely to ever be just and equitable for a party against whom an, uh, an order can be made, which is well able to fund the remediation works itself. Um, they're, they're never likely to be able to, to claim that the work should be funded um, by taxpayers. Um, yeah. So, you know, it really did it, it dismissed the sort of public purse argument. I think it's it's being coined in, in this decision. Yeah, uh, quite resoundingly by the sound of it. And But you mentioned that FTT decisions are not binding. Uh, and this is, uh, as I said at the outset, it's, it's one of the sort of earliest, very significant decisions made under the Act. With that sort of background, do you think there's a, there's a strong likelihood uh, that there might be uh, an appeal, uh, to, that this case might go further to, to and that the, the higher courts might get a look at some of these issues? I, I mean, potentially, I think it's still still got time. Um, uh, and I think, you know, it may well depend um, on sort of avenues that Get Living may have for, for other claims against third parties um, as to how, how they how they you know, take this or where they take this. Um, but I think as it stands, you know, I, I struggled to see how a different decision would be taken um, in this case when you, when you look at the intention behind the Act, mm. um, unless there's more focus in terms of uh, the original developer entity, but obviously it's all, 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 all connected. Yeah. Um, but the devil's in the detail and it is a complex case, so, so, you, so you never know. Um, but I, I do think what we do know is that particularly litigators and construction litigators are going to be, you know, very busy for some time to come. <laughs> and we're we're really just starting to see the the full impact of of the Building Safety Act on the industry. So I think we'll have to just watch this space on this one. Yeah, absolutely. And whether whether or not it's this is the last we we hear of triathlon, I'm 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 certain like you are that it, it won't be the uh, the final case uh, under the Act to trouble the the tribunals and eventually the higher courts. So perhaps uh, we will discuss these issues again. I'm sure we will. Uh, thank you very much, Rebecca. And to those of you at home, you have been listening to On the Case from EG. Mm-hmm.